Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store Soho in New York. Please welcome this evening's moderator, Leah Rosen. Uh, I'm Leah Rosen. I am a recovering movie critic, for lack of a better description. Uh, I'm here to essentially do the Q&A with Davis Guggenheim, who is the director of the film uh, He Named Me Malala. Let's just watch the trailer for that film right now, the documentary, and then I will introduce him. Uh, the format tonight, just so everyone knows, I'm gonna do about a half hour, 25 minutes, half an hour of Q&A with him, and then we'll open the floor for about 10 or 15 minutes for questions from you, okay? So let's watch the trailer for He Named Me Malala. There is a moment when you have to choose whether to be silent or to stand up. Tonight, Malala remains in intensive care. She was shot in the head for daring to suggest girls should go to school. Me and my wife, we cried all the night. The doctors told me she will survive, but she may not be the same as she was. They shot me on the left side of my head. They thought that the bullet would silence us. I am the same Malala. I'm still 17. I'm still a teenager. She's a little bit naughty, a little bit that much. Who would you have been if you were just an ordinary girl from the Swat Valley? I'm still an ordinary girl. But if I had an ordinary father and an ordinary mother, then I would have two children now. This is my youngest brother. He's a really good boy. This is the laziest one. <laughs> my father said, have you forgiven them? You've never felt angry? No. I want people to learn from the experience I had. Very nice to see Hello, you. Nice to see you. A woman is more powerful than me. In this new school, it's hard. Physics, 61%. You think you could ever ask your boy out on a date? <laughs> Roger Federer. You like him? I like his haircut. When I think of home, I miss the dirty streets. I miss the river. I miss my friends. I just want to see that house just once. You named her after a girl who spoke out and was killed. It's almost as if you said she'll be different. You're right. I am those 66 million girls who are deprived of education. I'm not a lone voice. I am many. And our voices are our most powerful weapons. One child, one teacher, one book, and one pen, they can change the world. My father only gave me the name Malale. He didn't make me Malale. I chose this life and now I must continue it. Now, I'm going to just assume that everyone here knows who Malala is and that she is the youngest winner ever of the Nobel Peace Prize, meaning that we are all has-beens. Uh, our filmmaker, Davis Guggenheim, won the Oscar for Best Documentary for An Inconvenient Truth, the movie that sort of put global warming on the map and climate change for all of us. He also did Waiting for Superman, 
It Might Get Loud. Those are the documentaries. Feature films include Gracie and Gossip. And he's directed a whole bunch of TV shows you may have seen. 24, Deadwood, The Unit, NYPD Blue, and more. His, he named me Malala opened last month. And uh, let's just get to it. Mr. Guggenheim. Hello. Hi, Grace. Hi, Ethan. How are you? Okay. We'll make this easy. Yeah. Why this movie? How did, how did you get it? How were you hired? Was it your idea? It was not my idea. The, um, Walter Parks and Laurie McDonald, who uh, are producers who used to run DreamWorks Studios for nine years, uh, they got the life rights to her story and were considering a movie. And when they flew to Birmingham and met Malala, and they sat down with her family, met her brothers and her father, Zia, they thought that it's impossible. How would you make this movie with actors? And it, it should be a documentary. And so when they flew home, they called me. And I didn't know whether I would do it right away. I, uh, I wasn't sure. And um, I started to read more and more about it. And as I saw it, I said, well, this relationship between Malala's father, Ziadine, and Malala was something very fascinating. And uh, I have two daughters, and I wanted to figure that out. Like, what was, what was the dynamic between these two individuals? And, and what was it that gave this girl the confidence in this very patriarchal society to speak out? Now, she and her family now live in Birmingham, England, because it is completely unsafe for her to be back in Pakistan. Well, she woke up, um, she woke up in, a, in the hospital in Birmingham. When she was um, shot, she was brought to three different hospitals, I think it was three, and was in Peshawar. And it was very clear, and, a, and, a, and a, a, to, the credit to saving her life goes to this Pakistani military doctor who removed a large piece of her skull and reduced the swelling. But it was very clear to me that to them, that, not to me, that very clear to them that they needed, that she needed proper care for recovery. And so the UAE sent a plane and airlifted her. A, 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 a hospital plane, a hospital wasn't plane, it? Yeah. yeah. And, and flew her to Birmingham where British soldiers were evac'd because they were dealt, dealt with um, military wounds, especially head trauma and things like that. So she woke up in a military hospital, I mean, excuse me, she woke up in a hospital in Birmingham, England, and, that's, and they ended up just settling there because that's where she woke up. Well, I think one of the most astonishing things in the film is the footage you have from the hospital. Yeah. I mean, you have footage of her on stretcher, you have, but you have footage where, sort of essentially rehabilitation footage, where you see what she was like when she first kind of gains consciousness. You see footage where she can't catch a ball, and you see the progress that she's making. How did you get hold of that footage? Well, that was hospital. That was footage taken from the um, from the hospital, and I, it was footage taken to record her rehabilitation. I think it was uh, from the from a doctor's point of view of how you know how how was she improving? What 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 are the methods that are working? Uh, and they were it was very simply shot. But um, uh, when I first saw it, I I couldn't believe it because it was so powerful. Yeah, and it's very clear how close she was to 
never recovering and how severe that head wound was. I mean, you see, you see footage where they throw a ball towards her and she just, she can't even react. And then by the end, she can catch it, et cetera. Um, you spent 18 months on this film from start to finish? 18 months of intensive shooting and editing, but it's been now more than two years of pretty th active working. Uh, developing the movie, shooting the movie, editing it, and now selling the movie to the world. Yeah. And was the first step to meet the family and gain their trust, and how does one do that? Well, it's the ultimate question. When you make a documentary, the success of the documentary is really about whether you, the people let you in and whether they trust you. And um, the, the credit goes to the family because they are such a lovely, open family. Uh, and the family you see in the movie is a family who I met. Um, and I think they're holistically different from the people, f from the experience I have of meeting most people now in this age where people are constantly telling their own story on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Um, people are so conscious now of how they look to the world, their selfies. Um, this is a family that um, is so genuine and so open that, 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 that they didn't second guess a guy like me who's half Jewish, half Episcopalian with weird hair. They let me into their home and they opened their home to me. And, uh, and it really is a, is a comment on them, how, how they trusted me to tell their story. And everyone spoke English except the mother. Malala's mother speaks limited English. Yeah, um, Torpakai is the mother. And um, there were two barriers. One was that Torpakai's English was not as good. And if anyone was a fish out of water, they were all fish out of water to some extent. But Torpakai didn't speak English that well okay. and was the most isolated. The kids were going to school every day right. and, and, and Zia was out doing the work and Torpakai at the very beginning was more isolated. Um, but also I think the idea of participating in a movie was something very foreign to her. And culturally I think being on camera was a, um, something that she was resisted doing at first. Yeah. I mean, in some parts of Islam, aren't there, you're forbidden, no, you shall not worship a graven image, yes. which some people take as to being a photograph. Yeah, I wouldn't put words in her mouth, but there was definitely, um, I think, hesitation on her part. Okay. Like when we'd pick up the camera, you would see her sort of oh. float into the next room. Okay. And also, you know, it took a longer time for her to... to um, warm up? To warm up to me. By the end, she asked to be in the movie and uh, wanted to show her lesson learning English in the movie. And, and um, the, the thing about it when you see the movie uh, is that Malala gets her passion and her sense of mission from her father, Zia. She gets her strength and her sort of personal power and spiritual depth from Torpakai. Okay. And when you're in that house, you know who uh, makes the big decisions there. Malala and her mother, okay. <laughs> wouldn't you say? Would you A agree? matriarch. Uh, <laughs> Eason Jordan, who works with the family, is here tonight. So I'm looking to see if 
confirm that. Confirming. Give a big thumbs up. Uh, The family is the father, the mother, Malala, and then her two younger brothers. If we can show a clip here, I think you'll see one of the great things about the film is the real sense of family and the interactions and how everyone can relate and recognize this. Uh, If we can see the film where she's with her, the clip where she's with her brothers. This is my youngest brother. He's a really good boy. He has a lot of energy. He would demand us that, oh, I want to play golf and I want to... This is the laziest one. You see, look at the first impression. Uh, One, two, three, start. His name is Kushal Khan Yusufzai. And um, he's a okay boy. This is Malala Yusufzai. She's the naughtiest girl on the earth. One, two, three, go. It's not fair. Come on, then. (laughs) No. (laughs) This time. Now, how much time, how much trust does it take to get scenes like that? Were you shooting those in the beginning? Did that only come after months and months of filming to get that kind of entree? I'd like to tell you a story that, that, it, that I did something very special, but this is them every day, right? This is, um, they're very... Zia, the father, said something uh, in one of the Q&As we did together, is that this tragedy that happened to them, Malala being shot and them being dislocated brought the family very close together and they really cling to each other. Um, But they're also, that's who they are. They're very ebullient and joyful and irreverent and they're teasing and I used to come home from visiting them just buzzing with joy because even though they've suffered a lot Imagine your daughter being shot and then having to leave your country. Uh, Imagine having to be put into a a school where you speak a different language. You never feel, you never feel their, you never see them complain. And uh, I kept finding myself asking myself, why don't I appreciate my life the way they appreciate their life. Why do not I enjoy the simple things the way they enjoy the simple things? Now, I read an interview where, just a little homework for this, where you said you always know who the viewer is ahead of time. You always know who you're sort of making this film for. You hope it's lots of people, but you kind of know with Inconvenient Truth, it was your Republican relatives in Ohio. In this film, you have two daughters who are how old? Uh, 14 and 9. Okay. Are they the viewer? Who's the viewer for this film in your head when you were making it? It's interesting. As, a, as my evolution as a filmmaker, I used to make the film for me. I was just like, I'm going to make the film that I imagine in my head. And now it's very important to me as I make the film, who is this movie for? And, and, who, and I need to imagine an audience member watching the film. Um, and it was, for Inconvenient Truth, it, w- it wasn't enough to make a film about climate change for 
lefty hippies like myself. I wanted the film to actually do something and actually change people's minds. And so I had cousins in Ohio who are Republican, and I love them. They're great guys, and we, we agree on everything except for politics. And I was like, well, I don't need my friends in Santa Monica, California to be convinced. I want my cousins to be convinced. And so as I thought of that movie, what I put in and what I didn't put in, the moments that I wanted to be persuasive and experiential and emotional were there for them. And so uh, more as I evolve, and I want, I, as a filmmaker, I really want to precisely know who this is for. And the very first thing I thought, I want this to play for teenage girls. I want girls to feel like this is their movie and their story. And part of that is that I have two daughters and I want them to connect to this amazing girl, Malala. I want them to feel like this is their story. Um, it's remarkable to think of a girl in Venice, California, where I live, standing up to tyranny the way Malala stood up to tyranny. It's sort of a story that we are now familiar with, but imagine the bravery of standing up, knowing you're going to risk your life, knowing that other people who stood before you spoke up and are shot and killed. The fact that Ziadine, her father, did that. His friends were being killed. The fact that Malala stood up and spoke out, knowing that she was risking her life. To me, that's remarkable. And yet, some of what is most affecting in the film and gives you the greatest sense that you know Malala is when she's a teenager sort of being shy about liking Brad Pitt or she's afraid that she's not going to do well on the test. I mean, I think it's that contrast that makes her human and relatable because she's so fantastically eloquent. Yeah. That May I show a clip? The next clip is the forgiveness clip. This is... I mean, I can't imagine any of us being able to make this speech ourselves. My father said, have you forgiven them? All this time, you've, you've never felt angry? No. Not even a, as small as an atom, or maybe the nucleus of an atom, or maybe a proton, or maybe a quark. Never angry? Never. Islam teaches us humanity, equality, forgiveness. It doesn't matter for me if my left side of my face isn't working, or if my, uh, I cannot blink this eye properly. It doesn't matter for me if I can't smile properly. It doesn't matter that I'm not hearing in this ear. I can't hear. Now, who writes her speeches? Does she? Does her dad? When she's, what surprised you most? I mean, that, for me, the most surprising thing in the film is how unbelievably eloquent she is. What surprised you most? When I first heard about this project, I read a lot, and a lot of the, the early things written about her were asking that question. You know, is, the, is Zia Dean behind the, string, behind the scene pulling the strings? Um, and it's a question that we might ask. Um, when you meet her, you realize that the buck stops with her. Um, and I've been in many meetings about this movie where there's 
20 adults who are very accomplished. And we go around the room and these very impressive people are saying, well, we should do this and we should do that. And people are arguing and Malala's there. She's very, very quiet. And at the very end, she's not even pushing to speak. At the end, there's a moment where, and she typically will just say, I think we should do this. And suddenly everyone agrees. She has this preternatural sense of power and a sense of wisdom that is so much more mature than, than me <laughs> or any of the other fancy people in the room. She, um, even though she's from this very small town in Pakistan, she has a, a very strong sense of, of what works. Um, that being said, she has incredible people who support her, Eason Jordan, works for her for the Malala Fund, Megan Stone. Ziadine, her father, is a remarkable human being. When you see the movie, you'll see he's a passionate, passionate man who, who's risked his life and, and has a mission of his own. Uh, that And this, clearly they developed together and clearly he influenced her. And so, in many ways, the question is a false one. You know, they came up together, and uh, he was impressive in his own right, and she learned at his knee. She grew up in his school. Um, but when you see them together, you realize that she is very much her own person. And she says at a climactic moment in the film, at the end, she says, he named me Malala, which means essentially yeah. brave woman, but she says... I am my own person. I, I am who I am. It's the, it's the moment for me where the movie sort of reveals itself. I asked her, I said, you know, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, the movie starts with the story of how she got her name. She's named after this girl, Malale or Malala, who was a sort of a Joan of Arc character at the Battle of Maywan 100 years ago when the Afghanis were fighting the British. And the, the original Malala uh, spoke out and rallied the Afghani troops to win the war and beat the British, but she was shot. And died. And died, and so she's a martyred character. And I ask her at the end of the movie, your father names you after Malala. So, but the original Malala chose to speak out. She chose to risk her life. But you, you didn't choose it. Your father just named you, you know. You know you and she goes, no, no, no. He named me Malala, but he didn't make me Malala. And when you hear her say it, you believe it. And uh, it's a very, as a, someone who has three children and a son who just applied to college, who just turned 18 yesterday, there is this sort of mysterious soup of, which has the ingredients in the recipe of, all, of, of who a human being is. And my son is, are pieces of my wife and pieces of my, myself and pieces of the world, and you don't know what makes him. Uh, but when you meet Malala, she, is, she pulls from all these incredible people, Torpakai, especially her mother and her father. But she is very much her own person. I mean, she seems fully formed, and yet there are those obvious scenes where she is an adolescent yeah. that are so charming. Yeah. Uh, speaking of college, yeah. she will be going to college. Uh, she, I read she has toured Stanford and yeah. liked the fact that it was sunny and warm so much of the time. Yeah. Uh, she's also looked at Oxford. Well, are you going to be able to tell us where she's going to college? I don't know. Okay. I, I don't know. And I, I know that it's very important to her. 
And the reason why she's not here tonight uh, is that she is studying. She's a student. And those of us who know her know that not only being a student is important, but being an A student, being the best student is important. Because if she's going to advocate for all these 66 million girls who are out of school, she better at first come to the table as a good student. Um, what was the most difficult thing about making this movie, and what what do you regret isn't in there, or you regret you didn't get to make a point, or you know what? Every time do you watch it, you just go, "Damn, I wish I'd, I'd fit that in." Well, besides everything, yes, you know I, I can't watch these scenes without thinking how I could redo it and make it better. Um, I think the hardest part was knowing her and her father knowing that these people risked their lives, asking myself the question, if that was happening to me, if my kids' were, lives were at stake, if my life was at stake, would I be as brave as them? And not answering that question very well, knowing that, no, wanting to make the movie as good as, making a movie that is as good as they themselves as human beings are, and wanting to be, it, and, 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 uh, always feeling like I've fallen short because when you when you spend time with them you feel like they are up here and what was the family's reaction when you showed them the film I think at first the movie was very difficult for them to watch as it would be for you imagine a film about yourself someone taking pieces of your life and pieces of different events I think it was very very difficult to put all those pieces together. And then, then they had notes. They had, they had very s intelligent notes, uh, specifically about how the Muslim world was being portrayed. Imagine I'm a guy who lives in LA. I, I tried to do my best to be very sensitive, but I think they had very you know, subtle but very important notes about how that was. And, and to them, they were it was very important that we understood the nuances of how the Taliban was portrayed, how, how, to, how to portray how the Taliban was misusing Islam, um, which we hadn't quite gotten the subtleties of that right. Um, and then I, as I think as they saw that, they, they learned to like the movie. And, and he, and it, but it took them even a few more times, even I think once they saw it with a larger audience, they could feel what the audience was feeling and appreciate that, that the movie was working. Now, I assume there are all kinds of demands on her time. What is sort of, you know, and the world is a peculiar place, what is kind of the most egregious pitch that has been made to her about, you know, have people asked her to endorse products or be a spokesperson for something that would be so far off the mark? I'm not the one to ask. Okay. You can ask Easton Jordan. Uh, he will probably won't tell you some of the more egregious requests. Um, you know, it, it he's, is... He's passing. I've made films about um, U2, the band. There's a show tomorrow, the live show on Saturday night in Paris that I was part of. I've made films for Obama. I've, I've made films with famous people, Al Gore. Um, there is a, a phenomenon where when you're that famous, everybody wants a piece of you. Yeah. And... So you can only imagine. Um, if you had to call it, yeah. what is Malala going to end up doing? 
you know, in 10, in 20 years? Anything. I mean, I know her, her heart, all of them are desperate to go back to Pakistan. All of them are desperate to go home. Uh, she says she misses the dirty streets. And I believe her. There's something about Birmingham, England, which isn't, is wonderful. Get, she's getting a great education, but they want to go home. Imagine just one night you're pulled from your home and you, and you can't go home, and they just want to go home. But I think she's got ambitions. She feels like it's her job to speak for the, the 66 million girls who don't have a voice, and she takes that very seriously. I think she feels like it's her job to, to fight for her country where there are many, many girls like her who don't have a voice and where um, there's so much to do. Okay, two topic, two questions that are not related to the film, but to you, and then we'll open it up to everybody. Uh, your father was a well-known documentarian. He somewhere had the numbers. I think he three Oscars himself, six additional nominations, four Oscars. Twelve nominations. Twelve nominations. It's wrong on IMDb. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, did that in why documentaries? You've made feature films. You've made docs. What's the difference, and is there one you like more? Well, thank you for bringing up my father. He was my greatest teacher. He, he was an amazing documentarian, and, and he taught me everything I know. I love documentaries. I've directed a lot of television and some features, and there's no better feeling. I, I have this feeling a lot where I come home, and my kids ask me where I was and, and why I wasn't at the soccer game or um, why I'm home late. And when I come home and say I was working on this film about this girl from Pakistan uh, who risked her life for what she believed in, I can stand proud and say, this is what I was doing. This is how I was spending my time. Um, and for me, you know, in, in Hollywood and in television, you work in, often I think your world gets smaller and smaller. It gets more exciting because they're fancy people and fancy things. When I direct television, there's a chair. When you're directing documentaries, there's no chair. You can sometimes sit on the floor. But I'm very proud of the work in documentaries. And I, and I come home and my world is bigger. And I'm proud to tell my kids what I've been doing at work. And what's next for you? Nothing. OK. Nothing. I'm going to um, take a sabbatical and be a dad. Cook dinner. Go to soccer practice? Go to soccer practice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's open it up to questions from the floor. If uh, somebody wants to be brave and ask the first question. Awesome. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. Um, as a successful filmmaker, how is your approach different to this where you were really specifically telling her story? Everything else you've done, although you know, affects us deeply, were these larger stories. How did you feel? Did you feel so much pressure that you, you're really the one bringing her to the world that, you know, now we'll all, we'll all have this forever. How, did, how was your approach different? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, um, back to my father. My father always told me that every film you make is personal. And I think that's not always true in documentaries. I mean, sometimes we do watch documentaries not for the personal. We want to learn about an issue. We want to hear about an important problem. But for me, it's about 
the good documentaries, though, the documentaries that I like are ones that are deeply personal and emotional and tell a story of a human being. Uh, and so in, in some respects, all my movies have that continuity to them, but they're all different because each person is different. And the thing that I think was so spe specific about this movie, it's a father-daughter story. Who is this girl? Who is this man? What is the nature of their relationship? And so trying to crack that dynamic in my own mind and going home to my daughters and thinking, who are these girls and what do they think of me? I always try to bring the stories back to me in my own life. My daughters are a complete mystery to me. I have a son and he's not a mystery to me. I don't know why. I still don't understand it. My daughters are a complete mystery to me. And so trying to figure out the nature of that relationship was the thing that was very different. But the, the job is the same for me, you know, drilling in, cutting to the core, getting to know them very deeply, having them get to know me, and finding the most intimate moments, and, and, and sort of locating the, the struggle, the core of the struggle. In this case, to me, the movie builds to the moment of, and I, to answer your question in more general, I think, every I think every movie leads to a moment of choice. To me, this movie leads to the moment of Malala choosing to speak out, to, to speak out to the world and risk her life. Her father's choice to let her. Some of us would not let our daughters do that. And why did he let her and why did she choose to do it? And so if that's the case, how do I build the movie to that moment? How do I get them to trust me to open up and, and really reveal the core of that human choice? And yet, you're, are you doing that on the fly as you're making the film, or are you doing it in the editing room? Both, but I think the, the core is, is the truth. The core is, is going in... in and, and, and I certainly wouldn't have asked it the first day of meeting them. I would, ask, I would slowly sort of unpeel that onion. And the, 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 that core question that, that you, heard, you mentioned came at the very end, I think was one of the last interviews I did. So it's like building trust like you would with anybody. I think a lot of people would be interested uh, to know, did you have any concerns about your own security while you were making the film? And the second, what kind of security was provided for you during making the film? Yeah, thank you. I'm a scaredy cat. I have no desire to risk my life for anything. Uh, uh, if you, ha you guys haven't seen Cartel Land, it's a documentary that's out now, and it's about the cartels in Mexico, and this filmmaker, Matthew Weiner, um, uh, did an amazing job and embedded himself on both sides of that conflict and bullets are flying over his head. That's not me. <laughs> um, uh, in, in most cases, Malala lives a very ordinary, ordinary life and goes to school every day. I think thoughtful measures are taken to make sure she's safe. We were mostly in very safe situations. We were at the border of Jordan and Syria when the Syrian refugees were coming across, if you've seen the movie. And in that case, there was Jordan military there. In other cases, there was sort of proper, thoughtful security, but uh, it wasn't really a factor in this movie. 
Um, one thing I think that struck me in hearing your conversation this time is that um, you have had a chance to deal with people that have very resonant levels of fame. And, uh, and you know, and in this age where everybody can get a little famous with their YouTube videos and all this and that, you must have a unique take on what makes people, you know, achieve what they achieve or what the resonant effect. In some cases, like Malala, it may be a little bit more accidental. Or with the school teachers, uh, with the film you made about the, the teaching situation, but you've seen it. What are your What are your observations on what makes people succeed, um, and what how does fame impact on them? That's a really interesting question. Um, for some reason, not by design, that's been the path I, I've I've made film. I've made a lot of films about ordinary people. My first film was about five first year teachers in their twenties. It's interesting, I think everybody has their outer shell, the person they present to the world. And they also have their inner quiet self that they, I almost feel like it's like if you were to journal the things you would say to yourself. No matter what, I'm looking for the latter, you know. And the interviews I do, I do these interviews without camera crews, just audio only, and many of them, and I'm trying to get into that, that core quiet place that almost feels, you might watch this movie and feel like Malala's narrating it, but she's really just speaking in a very quiet, personal place. And to me, that's the ambition is to, to me, I think that's where documentaries have gone in the last 10 years. In the 70, 60s and 70s, they were all about access. You could bring cameras into places that you've never been before. Now cameras have been everywhere. And so the new frontier, I think, is in, inside people, inside their souls. And so my job is to, to get in there. I think with famous people, there's two things going on. One is it's harder because that outer shell is more pronounced. Uh, but also with people like Bono or Malala, very different, there's, there's part of them that's yearning to to be seen in a way, you know, you have this person that people think you are, that is all that is um, good for good and for bad, and um, I think people really want them to be known. They want themselves to be known in a in a in a core way, and so that I think that's my job. Um, you did mention that Malala lives. Malala and her family pretty much lives a, an ordinary life. But as you were filming, did it seem as if um, they were being treated differently, not in a negative or positive sense, just in general? Did it seem like people knew who they were and they were treating them a certain way? Yeah, I mean, obviously, yes, yes. And my daughter carries Malala's book around and uh, she'll forever be known either as a girl who won the Nobel Peace Prize, I hope, or the girl who was shot on her school bus. To me, she shouldn't be known as a girl who was shot on her school bus. She should, be, she should be known as a girl who spoke out. She risked her life to speak out for what she believed. That's the thing she should be known for. But people think they know her. You know, people have a relationship with her before they even know her, which is really interesting. That's what, that's maybe another element of celebrity, right? If you would call it that. The thing to understand though is that when we, I was with Eason in Jordan, and in I wasn't in Nigeria, but you were with her in Nigeria and Kenya, and there, no one knows who she is. 
and yet some of the most affecting scenes in the movie, you go to, with her to Kenya to a girl's school, right. and seeing her relating to these girls, yeah. and they're, you know, just, they're all thrilled at the idea that they're gonna learn. Yeah, the, uh, these, these girls are African, they're Christian, Malala's Muslim and Pakistani, and they don't, they've never heard of her before, but they, within minutes, and it says a lot about Malala, one, that she can connect very deeply right away, but also that Malala is the most happy there. Don't you think she's most in her skin when she's with girls? Uh, and so the celebrity thing, I don't want to use that word, it's, it's the, sort of the nature of the, your question, but the idea that people know, think they know her before they know her uh, is kind of irrelevant to Malala. You know, the work, it's, it's really quite amazing that she is very focused on the purpose of her life. She almost died. She got a second chance at life. She says in the movie, I've been given a new life, and this life is a sacred life. When you're with her, you believe that, that all the small stuff falls away, and that her purpose in life is to do these things and to be the voice for these other girls. And everything else sort of falls away. Let's do two more questions, one from this side, one from the other side, and then let's find out how we can help if people are so moved to. Hello. Um, so my question is, was it difficult, or did you put a lot of work into managing the subtleties between really giving a platform to her message of, you know, um, female empowerment and education while also centering the film around a relationship between her and her father um, instead of her mother or another female figure. There's a great expression, I think Samuel Golden says, if you want to put a message in your movie, write a telegram. That movies shouldn't have a message in them. Uh, and I believe that to some degree. I mean, Inconvenient Truth is a the whole movie is a case for why climate change is real. And Waiting for Superman is about public education. This movie certainly is about girls' education. But there is this very te tenuous balance in a movie. You go because you believe in, a lot of people will be drawn to this movie because they believe in Malala and her message. But the movie needs to tell a, a story first. And my job first is to tell a, a story. Now in that story, the message can come through in its own organic way. But that's my first job. And so I, I think where so many documentaries fail uh, is that they are serving a cause first and they fail to, to bring you through a journey. They fail to be personal and they fail to, to, to actually t give you an experience and tell a story. Uh, is it harder to get started on a film or keep going? What was the particular thing you had to conquer in either or? When you start a movie, you just you get so excited. You said, "This is awesome." So I think it's easy to get started. And if if I, <laughs> you can, and all the projects I've done that have failed, it's like I'm gonna. It's gonna be great. I think it's uh, so. It's easy to jump in. I think. I think it's harder when you're the thousand moments when a film doesn't work. We, we screened this film 30 times and 28 of those times it didn't work. I screened it for my friends and said, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. How do we get it to work? How do we get it to work? And it's the persistence to 
to get it there, to make pull it together, I think is that's the hardest. I'm, I'm going to ask a tough yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. How do you know when to pull the plug? Something you were excited about, something you jumped in, something you started, but a film you ended up just going, this isn't working and I'm going to just shut it down now. Have you done that? We'll end on a downer note. I refuse to believe that I can ever... It's like, it's like, what, you know, it's like walking away from one of your children. You say, well, this will never work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my child back to the hospital. Um, so you've, you can't. you've pulled them all out, or tried. I'm not saying they're but all you've good. Tried. Okay. Uh, but, but you've got but, to the finish line but they with are them all. Like they, you have to love your movies like yeah. they're your children. Okay. And never give up. And, and even now, as the movie is out in the world, um, I'm here tonight because I want to see the movie get seen by people, and that's, that's its own challenge. So I think you're supposed to say, please tell your friends, go to the movie and tell your friends to go. Yeah, the movie's, um, for those of you who haven't seen it, Fox Searchlight uh, is a studio. They've done an incredible job releasing it. It's still in theaters now. Um, and also, if you're inspired by your story, go to the Malala Fund. Um, it's a very, very, very important group to me. They, not, they, do, they do, do two things, which is really important. They're building schools for girls on a local level, uh, but also they're advocating on a global level for, for girls' education. So I think it's, you know, if, if you're inspired by her, uh, you know, she needs an army of people, Malala needs an army of people um, who say they've got her back. And you can help financially, but you can also just be a supporter of her. So I encourage you, it's a very worthy organization, a very worthy cause. Well, I think as Malala herself said, let us pick up our books and pens. They are our most powerful weapons. Yeah, so, so are cameras. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank, Leah, thank no, you. No, thank you. It was very nice. And so I think that's it, unless there's anything else. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you, Leah, that was a wonderful. Thank you for coming tonight.